Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection, and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. I'm Buzz Knight, the host of Taking a Walk, Music History on Foot. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeart, CastBox, or wherever you get your podcast. And when you follow us, you're guaranteed to uh, never miss an episode. And uh, feel free to share this with a friend, a couple of friends, pass the word about Taking a Walk. We appreciate it. Today, our episode is music history. Now, in a previous episode, which uh, I'd love for you to check out, we walked through music history with Paul Kingsbury at the Country Hall of Fame. Had a blast with that. We'll walk through the hallowed halls today on this episode of Taking a Walk of Nashville music history in the studios. First, we're going to be with Aaron Bolin. He is the Director VP of Studio Operations and A&R Administration for the great Curb Music, which has an amazing studio with tons of history. And then on the second part of this, we're going to meet up with Mike Porter. He's the facility manager of 34 Music Square East, which, among other cool things, includes the legendary Quonset Hut Studios in Nashville. First, let's meet up with Aaron on Taking a Walk. Well, Aaron, it's so nice to be uh, taking a walk with you inside uh, Curb Studios. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being here, Buzz. This Look. is an amazing place. I feel like it's... Uh, one of many studios it's sort of the hallowed halls if you will right we are very blessed to have a lot of history here a lot of great music has come out of these this studio 
So uh, t take us around here. Let's uh, show us the scene. All right. Let's. I guess first and foremost, I'd love to take you into the tracking room first. This studio was originally built in 1982 by Wayne Hodge and Bill Vorndick. Um, it was originally called Star Gem Studios and basically it was an independent studio and record label here in town. Wayne Hodge I believe used to actually do the Indie Music Road charts back in the day. Um, but they ran it out of here and it was called Star Gem Records. And ironically, um, Curb being an independent uh, studio and also an independent record label, it's kind of ironic that we are now carrying on that tradition. Uh, we're a little bit larger record label than Star Gem was back in the day. But um, Bill and Wayne uh, ran that for quite a while. And then when that uh, folded, it, this became a commercial studio called Sessions Music, which you may have heard of. And during that time, uh, a lot of people cut here. Johnny Paycheck, Johnny Cash cut Boom Chicka Boom right there in that ISO booth, that vocal booth. Oh my God. Um, uh, Randy Travis cut Forever and Ever Amen here. Um, since I've been here over the past 25 years, We've had Dolly Parton, we've had George Jones, we've had Hank Williams Jr., The Judds, uh, Winona, uh, Tim McGraw's been here, Leanne Rimes, Rodney Atkins, uh, Lee Bryce. Um, actually, I don't know if you guys remember um, a band called Air Supply. Sure. Uh, but one half of Air Supply, Russell Hitchcock, cut uh, a, a double album here uh, called Nashville. And... Um, Don McLean actually cut here years ago at not Bye Bye Miss American Pie, but um, he did cut here as well. So this studio is rich in history and we are very blessed. One of my favorites though is Dolly Parton. Uh, when she was here, my office used to be right outside the tracking room door. And you know, when, when clients are here, especially artists of her caliber, you just keep your head down and do your work and let her do hers. But uh, this is a story I hope she doesn't get mad at me for telling, but I was in there working and she was about to walk into the control room door and she looked over at me and she said, well, how are you doing? And I said, wonderful, how are you doing? And we started talking, she started asking me questions. And then right before she went in, she said, well, are you gonna give me a hug or not? And of course, me being a Southern gentleman, I said, yes, ma'am. I certainly am. So I got to hug Dolly Parton, and that was definitely one of my bucket lists. Oh, my God. Uh, so that was a wonderful day. My wife still loves to hear that story. I mean, is she a treasure that continues to be even a greater treasure? You said it, Buzz. It's, it's just amazing. It's amazing uh, all that she's done, not only for music, but for Tennessee and for Nashville and for uh, the community in and of itself. But it was really neat to watch her perform that day. She would come in. She is a true artist. She would come in. She sang the song down through once and sounded incredible. He thought, how could it be any better? And then she would say, oh, I'm going to make it a little sadder this time. And it would be a completely different performance that would bring tears to your eyes. And then she, and then she would say, eh, maybe that was a little too much, and bring it back. So she is a true artist. Uh, she could deliver the song. She knew what the song needed worked through it and blew us all away that day. 
I mean, the sense when you walk into uh, this the studio is um, there really is this sense of calm when you walk in, which um, I'm sure is intentional. Yes, it, it's it's great that you pick up on that. And that was one thing when Mike Curb, when we told him, hey, we want to redo the studio because we took it uh, right before COVID hit and during the time of COVID we took it down to the studs and redid a lot of it but the one thing he said was in the tracking room can we keep the wood can we keep the feel because there's so much history in this wood well and the vibe is consistent because when I look over here I see a uh, Jack Daniels uh, whiskey bottle oh, well, is, or is it filled with something it's filled as a shaker <laughs> Which is, uh, you know, obviously it's a musical instrument, but somebody had to empty that to get it <laughs> to make it useful. <laughs> My God. Well, I'm going to, uh, after the tour, come back in. I'll take some pictures that will go on the uh, Taking a Walk podcast Instagram site so people can get a sense of this. But what a beautiful room here. This we, is hallowed halls. We are, we are very blessed. Well, and can we just... For the sake of the Johnny Cash yes. uh, piece, uh, is this where you said... Uh, this is where Boom Chicka Boom, he sang vocals for the song Boom Chicka Boom. And you can... Right in here? Right in here. Come on in. Holy mackerel. Feel, can you feel it, almost the vibe? And it, you can actually feel the presence of the room, uh, how it's been treated as well on your ears. Wow. Uh, but yes, this is where that it. magic was captured. and. Like I say, it, it's uh, I can still feel the history here, and hopefully we keep capturing that. That's amazing. Oh, my God. What a thrill. I have to ask you as we're walking, so, um, you know, we're here at Curb Studios. Tell me what an experience is like working with the great Mike Curb. Well, that is one thing that uh, I am very proud to to. It's great to have a job that you enjoy and that can help you uh, pay your bills and hopefully put your kids through college, but it's even uh, more fun when you can work for a gentleman who appreciates the history of all these wonderful buildings and the music that came out of these facilities and is willing to save it because change is inevitable. Um, and we know that... Uh, Real estate here is going for a premium right now, and it's. I'm thankful that he uh, sees fit to preserve these, not only for the history that that was created here, but also for my generation and future generations to come here, to feel it, to be a part of it, and to create new music and new history here. Yeah, he truly uh, embraces this, and that's part of his legacy, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, he also, you know, obviously gives to about 13 different colleges, 13 or 14 different colleges all over the country. Um, but the fact that he appreciates Music Row, you know, he's from California. Um, he was out there lieutenant governor for many years. But when he moved uh, the Curb Records operations, which was right across the street at 47 Music Square East, um, this facility, after sessions closed, uh, became available. That was around 1995, and that's when Mike Curb bought this facility. And originally it only had those two ISO booths, the middle ISO booth and the left ISO booth. When Mike purchased it, he put the right ISO booth in there, and then a lot of the uh, curb artists started recording here, Leanne Rhymes being one of them at that time. And uh, then over the years, uh, 
so many other of our artists and just outside clients have come through. Blake Shelton has recorded here, Joe Nichols, um, Tammy Wynette has been here. I've got an actual list. I would probably have to look at it just to tell you because there's really, we've been very blessed. It's got wow. quite a bit of a history here. And Mike, I understand, is still fairly involved in his company. Most definitely, most definitely. Um, Mike is an amazing individual. He um, he also does a lot with auto racing um, as well. We do NASCAR and Indy racing and truck racing and all of that. And he's done that for many years. But his still his true passion is music. It's it's great working for a head of a label. I mean, that was part of my job for many years was to make music and CDs at real time to send to him over the weekend so he could just uh, listen to music of the artists, new music that are coming out that would, you know, would be coming out or deciding on what the new music was that was coming out. He's a voracious appetite for music. Love it. Wow. And as far as um, history, he could definitely give you a good history of music as well. Oh, I would uh, think so. So set the stage where we are right now in this room. All right, we're in the control room, and we have just redone the control room. If you look at the studio out there, the, the control room and the tracking room, uh, there is a wall that's about four feet outside of the interior wall and those blocks are filled with sand and there's an air space in between there to isolate us being that we are in nashville and there is so much construction going on you need that isolation that separation this board is a is an api board um, it's the legacy series board it's a new board that uh, we put in and then the speakers here are Oxberger speakers the other thing that's uh, you know helps with this studio is we have some amazing outboard gear that's you know from the 40s and 50s some vintage stuff good tube stuff we have some wonderful microphones and we even have you know old 24 track machine here the studer machine and believe it or not this still gets used um, on occasion as a matter of fact um, I think um, White Stripes their album Icky Thump I think some of that was actually recorded behind us at Starstruck Studios and they borrowed our 16 track head stack uh, to, to run the drums through for that analog sound sure and then uh, still they were using Pro Tools as their tape machine but were capturing the drums through that analog warmth oh wow so yeah we have that and then the two-track tape machine here as well that's fascinating want to take a walk further I would love that um, back here when when Mike actually first purchased all of this this would be the headquarters of Star Gym. As a matter of fact, you could drive down Music Row and there was a star right here in the front door that everybody saw um, whenever they would drive by. So it always reminded everybody of Star Gym Studios. And then that was still here when I first started at Curb 25 years ago. Uh, but since we've done a refurb on it, uh, we've taken uh, these offices and turned them into useful rooms. The cool thing about it is this room, this is what we call our Studio B and Studio C, are actually tied into Studio A. So when we have a large uh, session, we can put a fiddle player back here, uh, a steel player back in the other, and capture their sound in these rooms and still uh, oh, wow. uh, track it in, these, in the control room. Um, one funny story, uh, if you can look out the window there, um, there's a place where we put um, 
there's guitars out there, obviously, but um, you know, for the tourists to come by. But there's also a basically a little wall there. That wall got put up because too many times people would be coming down through here. Somebody would pull out from that from South Street, and uh, they ran into this front of the building. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, quite a few times. I was wondering why that was there. Yeah, okay. so the facade and uh, uh, was put up for protection more than anything. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, you got to love Nashville drivers, and I'm one of them, so I can, I can get away with saying that. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is our B room. It would also be great if you and I were together and we wrote a song. Buzz, we could come in here, we could put a guitar vocal down, and then we could take it to an artist and hope that they would cut it and make us songwriters. Wow! This is see, this could be the future. This this is it. Yeah, this is what's really. My goodness, I I I've been I know I've been struggling as an artist all these years, but Aaron, I think you've helped me find my direction. I think I think that's all we have to do. Is I uh, wish. <laughs> Don't I wish? <laughs> Tap your inner creative child and we oh, can capture that buzz. Please. I would love that. Well, maybe someday. Maybe next trip. There you go. Yeah. I look forward to it. <laughs> so, Aaron, where are we walking to right now? Well, I was just wanting to kind of go around the block here and just point out a couple of wonderful places. Uh, this is right here, behind, directly behind Curb Studio, is... Uh, Starstruck, which was originally uh, built by Reba McIntyre years ago, and it's still a functioning studio. They have quite a few rooms in there, not only audio studios, but uh, video capture as well. And it's a phenomenal facility. They have an Atmos room in there. Caddy corner from that is RFD TV, which is right there in that building. And then uh, down there to your right is RCA Studio A. Uh, which uh, used to be uh, Havelina Studios, but uh, has been just uh, had a great history of wonderful uh, recordings that have come out of there. And then RCA Studio B is directly beside it, which is kind of interesting because RCA Studio B was built before RCA Studio A. <laughs> but hey, we're here in the South. <laughs> Alphabet can be your own uh, little playground, I guess. <laughs> your own creation. <laughs> your only crea yeah, your own creation. And right here was 47. Music Square East, which was where uh, Mike moved uh, Curb Records when he initially moved from California. And but yeah, you do have a sense that this was a hub of creativity just by the nature of all these buildings and just this, you know, activity. Well, I think that's exactly what was so unique about this is it was a place where everybody got together. That used to be a bar. And that's where all the songwriters would get together uh, throughout the day and tell stories, swap lies, and make up songs. <laughs> and uh, and, it, and it's, it's interesting that a lot of that is still here. And here's RCA Studio B that was going to be torn down and turned into a condo. And thank goodness uh, Mike Curb saved that. This is one of the best positioning statements I've ever heard in my life. RCA Studio B, established November 1957, donated to the Country Music Foundation, and then the positioning statement, birthplace of a thousand hits. Nothing better. <laughs> Some of the hits in here? Well, this is where Elvis recorded the majority of his hits. This is it. Everly Brothers recorded here. 
I think uh, it would be a wonderful, wonderful podcast, a Buzz, a Buzz Night podcast, taking a walk to take a walk through this studio the next time you have an opportunity. Oh, I love it. Thank you. I think that is something we definitely need to uh, make happen. I love it. Isn't it fair to say that with all the development that certainly is going on in Nashville and all the, in this area, that the greatness is still preserved? Yes, yes. I, I, and I think things like your podcast and taking time to share this makes people aware of the legacy and the history that we have here that we need to preserve. Um, what good is Music Row if there's no studios down here, if there's no publishing houses, if there's no record labels? Again, I understand growth. I'm just glad that there are still some of these places hanging on because Music Row is what brings a lot of the tourists to town. And uh, we need to preserve that not only for the tourists but for future musicians and producers and songwriters, record label employees. And well, Aaron, I can't thank you enough for taking me around here and showing us the sights, the sounds, the stories of this whole area, this amazing area. Just in closing, so, you know, as a songwriter and as somebody working in the role that you work at at Curb and being around the studio, it's just, can you really explain to the audience how important music is? Well, for me, music is important on so many different levels. It's, it's an expression of yourself, it's uh, healing, and it brings people together. It truly is the international language. I mean, you may not be able to speak someone's language, but if you have a rhythm or something you can tap your toe to, uh, we can all identify with that. Uh, so again, I'm just one of the few lucky people who get to work in this industry every day, and I'm thankful for it, and I love sharing it with others. Well, I appreciate you sharing uh, your time and your stories and carrying the torch here on uh, this taking a walk here in Nashville. Thank you so much, Aaron. Thank you, Buzz, for what you're doing as well, preserving this. Now, part two of this, taking a walk, let's meet up with Mike Porter, the facilities manager of 34 Music Square East. Well, Mike, I really appreciate you uh, taking a walk with me through the uh, hallowed halls here at the studio. We're, we're always glad to do that. I tell people that every person that comes in is another breath of life into the place, another heartbeat into it. So, Well, we um, want the story told, and you know the stories. Okay, well... Um, we're walking down the hall from what was new construction, that was the Columbia label offices, uh, into the area where the original house stood. It's long gone. It was torn down in 1962, but this is the area of the, the duplex. This was the basement of the house that the Bradleys bought in 1955. Um, they had a reason for building this here because Paul Cohen was going to take his business to Dallas because he didn't for, Paul was uh, head of A&R for DECA and uh, he didn't think there were any studios in Nashville that had the modern equipment which modern equipment was Neumann microphones and EMT echo chambers and uh, Owen had been working with Paul 
for uh, quite a while with this, and he said, well, if I build you the studio that you want, can I get 100 sessions a year from you? And he said, absolutely. So that's what led to this place getting built. So this was a two-story duplex with a full basement in it, and that's what later became Music Row. So this was where Music Row started. It was right here. Awesome. Um, in the studio that was here at the time, Gene Vincent cut Bebop Alula in it. It's done here. Uh, is it Bobby Vinton, Blue Velvet? All things was done in here. And uh, of course, Patsy Cline did the first album she did with Owen after she got out of the four star contract. This was kind of the, her rebirth, so to speak, in my opinion. Um, on that one, on that album is Walking After Midnight, and it was cut in here. And this story came to me from Lou Bradley, who was an engineer here for 14 years, and he knew um, the engineers that were here at, at that time uh, on that session. And the day they were doing that session, Patsy was 45 minutes late. Owen's got a room full of musicians here. He's getting a little hot under the collar, and she finally comes in. And if you know anything about Patsy, she was a force to be reckoned with. And the two of them locked horns, and there was quite a uh, verbal match going on. And she finally said, I've had enough of this. I'm not recording for you, son of a bitch, today. I'm going home. So she starts to walk out the door, and uh, all of a sudden I'm forgetting the engineer's name, Mort Thomason. Stoller said, you can't go home yet. She said, well, why can't I go home yet? And he said, because you haven't given me a hug and given me any sugar today. So she went over and hugged his neck, pecked him on the cheek, and he said, before you go, would you do a favor for me? She said, I'll do anything if you eat more, not these other SOBs. What do you want? <laughs> he said, would you do one take for me? She said, I'll do anything for you, Mort. I'll do that. And she did the one take of walking after midnight and walked out the door. Boom. And that was it. That wow. was the one. God. <laughs> That's outstanding. So, this was actually the third spot for Owen and Harold Bradley, the two brothers. They had had a recording facility after the Castle recording, which was in the Tulane Hotel, shut down. They moved into a building, Battle Lodge, which was like an Elks Hall, over at uh, Second and Lindsley. And they were they rented that ballroom. They leased that ballroom from the owner. And uh, they were renting that for $25 a month at the time. And they did some improvements to it, and their landlord liked it so much he raised their rent to $75 a month. <laughs> so that didn't sit well with them. So they moved down to a little cinder block building in Hillsborough Village, which is just about a mile from here. Uh, when, we, when he and I were here, when you grew up here, that was Acme School Supply. Little cinder block building, nondescript. Um, Pat Boone did his first recordings in there, and Kitty Wells did recordings in there as well. Um, they got to looking around. It wasn't had low ceiling, wasn't conducive to recording, so they got to looking around. And this area of town was kind of run down, and had just been zoned mixed-use residential commercial. So that's when they bought the house and started things here. A bit of foreshadowing of what yeah. was going to come, right? And uh, Owen, well, back in the days when radio stations had their own bands. Owen was the leader for the WSM radio band. Okay. Um, of course, the sister station was WSM television, and he wanted to be in film and TV work, so they bought a World War II surplus army Quonset hut and bolted it to the back of the house, and that was film and TV production. 
So it was Bradley Recording Studios and film work here. Got it. So this little odd set of stairs, the Quonset hut has not moved since it went in. Okay. And this was the basement of the house. So we got this little odd elevation change. Yep. Here. Yep. If these walls could talk, right? Well, I've been in there with Luke Bradley when it's quiet, and you can kind of hear it. You can? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, for your podcast, that didn't work. That was the house that was here. Yep. And you can kind of see the closet hut bolted to the back, and there was an apartment building on the corner, so the house is right here. So this was a three-story apartment building. And it's the only case I know of where they tore down an apartment building to build a studio and not the other way around. Right. <laughs> so there's a period piece of recording equipment right there. That's from about 1953. Wow. So this is the Quonset hut. Um, Holy smokes. A lot of people think it's been torn down because the front of the building says historic site of the Quonset hut. But it is indeed still here. Just everything's been built around it. Uh, there's a little spot out in the back parking lot. You can look up and still see a little bit of exposed corrugated steel on it. Wow. This this is sacred. Yeah, it's a neat place. So in here, um, of course, Patsy Klein recorded in here. Uh, George and Tammy Wynette, um, John and June Carter Cash, all that stuff. Roger Miller, all these big hits came out of this room. Uh, three of the top five Christmas singles that people know were done in here. Really? It's Holly Jolly Christmas, Jingle Bell Rock, and Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. Oh, man. All done in here. Um, and then another little bit of history is that uh, Fuzz Tone recording was an accident that happened in here. Really? Which led to the development of the Fuzz Tone guitar pedal and that was on a um, session Grady Martin was one of the 18 prolific guitar players the way they used to record electric guitar direct is they just put alligator clips on the back of the speaker ran it through a transformer right into the console which okay. is kind of like sticking your tongue in a light socket it's a pretty hot <laughs> signal and um, that particular day the engineer as he hooked him up he told Grady he said don't play anything until I get in there and turn the gain down. It's set way too high. And of course, just as he walked in there, Grady played something and it blew up that it was a tube console. So it wrecked, didn't completely break it. And uh, he came and said, man, I told you don't do that. I got to replace this preamp in here. And Grady recognized it was something musical at that point. He said, no, leave it alone. We're going to do it. So uh, if you go back and listen to Don't Worry by... Marty Robbins. There Marty we go. Robbins. Ah. Sorry. Um, you'll hear the really distorted guitar solo that became to be known as Fuzz Tone. Wow. And uh, that song was a hit. Grady did another solo album, uh, and on it was a song called The Fuzz, where he used that broken module. And uh, it was a real odd mashup with distorted guitar and orchestra. <laughs> so that was a hit. And then people got to talking about, what's this fuzz tone we're hearing about? So Owen realized at that point that he had something that was marketable. So they didn't repair that module. They kept it. And if you wanted fuzz tone in your record, you booked Bradley Studio B. And they brought out a real plug-in, a really piece of equipment plugged in and used that. Interesting. Um, um, when you, I mean, it's amazing. I don't know when you just sort of 
take this in here, I don't know, the vibe is pretty unique here. It's pretty intense. Um, I have a lot of fun showing people, particularly this space. Um, and since my office faces right out on the row, I see a lot of people. I can usually tell uh, a Patsy Klein fan or a Bob Dylan fan. And sometimes I'll go out and meet them and ask them if they want a tour, which is pretty neat. And I had a couple of ladies that had gotten separated from their formal tour one day and brought them in and just kind of steered them to right here. And I was talking to them. I had a lady standing where you're standing. And I said, oh, by the way, that's where Patsy stood. And she immediately just burst into tears. It's a very powerful spot for some people in here. And so Dylan did a number of sessions. He did uh, Blonde on Blonde and National Skyline up in Columbia A. Okay. Now, you'll see references on the Internet to him having done self-portrait in the Quonset Hut. And there's some element of truth to that. He had already laid down the basic vocal and rhythm guitar tracks. And they brought that into Quonset Hut and overdubbed everything else. So uh, Lou Bradley, the engineer I mentioned before, actually did those. But Dylan may have dropped his head in here, but he did not do any recording per se in this room. Got it. All the other stuff was upstairs. But Patsy. Yep. A force of nature. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just a nondescript building. I mean, it shouldn't work. In theory, it should not work right. because you've got this half-circle building. But they treated this is not the treatment that was done back then, but it worked. And what's interesting is how uh, we were talking about this with Aaron earlier. How uh, the science of you know sonics and engineering has so evolved. Yeah. You know yeah. from this, Absolutely. from this beginning, or certainly other beginnings. Yeah. You know? Yeah, they did what they had to do to make it work. There was no science behind it. It was right. all, all your ears and and a quick, you know, fix. What can you do to make that work? So, how often does a uh, you know a newer artist or musician want to come here and take this in just for a sense of appreciating history? Well, anytime we can share it as part of a tour or just a visit, if I can fit it in between classes, I'll certainly do that because it's important to keep that history going. Uh, we don't do any commercial sessions here anymore. We could, one, but one, we, we're, we don't want to compete with our neighbors because uh, as, as a recording school, we could undercut anybody but we don't do that. Number two, um, I have been around long enough and worked in, as, with a major manufacturer. I've been able to service other parts of the country, and I have seen for-profit schools attempt to do that, where they have opened themselves up to booking commercial sessions, and it doesn't end well for anybody. The talent is not hasn't been developed yet for that, and people, the customer has to go pay again to have it fixed. So we just don't cross that bridge um, we're here to train and educate. It, we, it, it's not a profit center. We don't. It's education. The Bradleys ran this facility from '55 until 1962, and in '62 is when Columbia wanted a presence, a physical presence in Nashville. So they offered uh, to buy the house and the Quonset Hut from the Bradleys, and then the property next door where the apartment building stood, and they were going to bulldoze all three structures. But Owen and uh, Owen Bradley and Don Law, who was the A&R guy for DECA, 
uh, convinced them to leave it alone. So that's why this building is still here. So just the way things go full circle. So I'm from uh, Boston, I'm from Connecticut originally, but I live outside of Boston. And the uh, Live Nation president of record around that area is Don Law Jr. Oh. Okay. Okay. So I had always heard uh, about Don Law's father. Yeah. So you just clarified that piece of the story. Good. That's that's interesting. Yeah. We gonna walk upstairs. Sure. Okay. People ask us if we have any original equipment here, and the quick answer is no. That all got sold when the studio shut down. We were able to acquire the Bradley microphone collection. Oh. Um, which. Uh, has vintage microphones that were used not only at this facility but also at the Bradley's Barn in Mount Juliet and also when they had RCA Studio A which at that time was known as uh, Music City Music Mill that's I think a, yeah. so that's a very expensive collection of microphones uh, we don't let freshmen's <laughs> Freshman students get their hands on those because some of those are thirty grand a pop. Oh, let's see. Um, and uh, for some reason, students don't seem to hold things in their hands very tightly. <laughs> but uh, another little tidbit about the Quonset Hut: Al Ganaway, who produced a lot of uh, television, there's a series. There was a series shot in the late '50s, early '60s called Country Style USA. And if you look on YouTube, you can find those. And anybody, it was anybody in the country music industry at that time, you'll find segments of them shot downstairs when that was a film, oh, really? film oh, studio. Okay. And that would be, you name it, they're in there. Wow. Um, and it was a program that was sponsored by the U.S. Army Recruiting Office. Oh, really? So one week there's a sergeant introducing acts, another one might be a colonel. And a captain another week. Oh, how neat. So it's interesting to go back and watch some of those. Uh, miking technique was stellar. Was a, the audio is excellent, and you never see any microphones. Really? They were hidden in hay bales and oh, really? other stuff. That's yeah. a good trick. Yeah. That's a good trick. I'll have so, to learn something on the mic technique. Where we just entered, this was the new part built to by Columbia in 1962. So uh, this, uh, this room was built to Columbia specifications. They had their own uh, engineering facilities for both designing studios and building equipment. So the consoles that were in here at the time were built by Columbia Labs. Um, this room was built just like they built rooms in New York or L.A. The floor actually floats on big springs to isolate it from the outside world which in theory is great. In actual practice it was horrible. <laughs> Because this floor resonates at about 82 hertz, and that just sucks that 82 hertz out. So the engineers are always fighting that dip in the low end in here. That's crazy. But, uh, Lynn Anderson's never promised you a rose garden was cut in this room. And, of course, you know, 50-some-odd years ago, uh, Dylan came to town and changed Nashville's history in this room. Uh, at that time... The brass at the other pop labels and stuff didn't think that Nashville musicians could do anything other than country stuff. And, and you're talking Nashville Skyline or Blonde Correct. Blonde Blonde, 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 Nashville Skyline, and John Wesley Harding were all done in this room. Right. 
and that that changed. That's when we are Nashville already knew it, but that's when the rest of the world woke up and said Nashville musicians are pretty darn good. Yeah, it was interesting because people didn't necessarily evaluate it with Blonde on Blonde, even though it was all in there with these great players, right? Like uh, Charlie McCoy. Yeah. Right. Charlie was the bait to get Dylan down here. Is that right? And he will tell you that story that, yeah, I was the bait to bring Dylan to town. But then when Nashville Skyline happened, that totally flipped everybody out because, I don't know if this is true, but we had heard he he stopped smoking and that's why his his vocals sounded different. There's a lot of people that know a lot more about Dylan than I do. And I had a, another interesting story living there. I had just a surprise guest. This was about six weeks ago. Two guys showed up at the front door because they wanted to see it, and I, of course, had time. And found out that one of the guys was the pastor of the largest Christian church in Jerusalem, oh. who also happens to be a walking Dylan encyclopedia. Uh-huh. And he was telling me stuff I had no idea. But he had gotten a ride from Ridgecrest, North Carolina, with a guy in Nashville to get back over to Nashville for something. And they were just driving down the street out here, and all of a sudden, the guy's going, that's the building, that's the building, stop. So he stopped in the middle of Music, <laughs> Music Square East and backed up and came in here. And we spent a really nice hour and a half talking history in here. Yeah, well, those, I mean, you know, Blonde on Blonde, Nashville Skyline, John Wesley Harding, phew. I mean, those are yeah. Uh, that really broke Na- that really broke Nashville open to the rest of the world. And then, in typical fashion, then of course Dylan moved on to something else. Yeah, yeah. You know, highly but he does, recommend. He does own a, own a distillery here now. He does. Yeah, he bought an old church just over just uh, south of downtown. That's uh, his distillery. The book is great that he has the been, philosophy of modern. Yeah. I was telling Aaron about a modern song, and he uh, he breaks it down. Uh, many songs I knew, and many I didn't know. Yeah, you know, but in a very, I mean, you hear Bob's voice uh, in his writing. Yeah, you know, yeah. That's uh, he showed up for his first session in here. His flight had been late, so the musicians had been here since like two. He didn't get in until five and had no songs written. So he went downstairs, and finally at 2 a.m. the next morning, they, they started recording the first song. Is that right? Yeah. So he just like got here, hunkered down, yeah. probably had everything in some skeletal fashion, but then yeah. put it all together. Yep. Wow. And uh, this console that's in here has its own story as well. I mean, every, we can go in here if you want. Sure. Um, every large console from the major manufacturers, they all have a, a, a lineage to them and a history that kind of follows them around. And uh, this is an API built, it's an API still around. Uh, it's a US company. And uh, this console was built in 1972. And it's not that it's an old console, we can't afford something nicer. Uh, it's a classic console, discrete electronics, uh, sounds great, and it just is a tank. You can't kill it. <laughs> uh, but when this console was brand new, it was owned by Wally Hyder Remote Recording Services out of San Francisco. And it was on their truck, and uh, this console did the band, 
last waltz. Um, did the West Coast tour of Frampton Comes Alive, did two Rolling Stones live albums, and um, he in turn sold it to uh, uh, another remote truck company out of uh, Los Angeles. Uh, Chris Stone at the record plant had it on a truck, and then they sold it later to Paul Christensen out of Omega Productions out of Dallas. He put it on a truck. And uh, this console had never been inside a building until we bought it uh, about 18 years ago. And we found it in the back of a shag-carpeted remote truck in the middle of a barnyard in Texas. Oh, are you so kidding? So it, it had gotten sold from Paul Christensen to someone else. Was that a stroke of luck? You think that it was? Found? Well, we kind of knew. We kind of had. We it had kind of been followed. We kind of knew where it was. And Paul Christensen, who had had it before had actually sold it to I think a former employee and that's when we found out that it was in they found it so we we t bought the entire truck uh, and towed it to Nashville got the console out of it a few pieces of gear and that LA2 down there still has a Wally Hyder sticker on it that's the one you're looking at now is an Ampex tape machine electronics and that's the one that still has the Wally Hyder tag on there oh yeah so here's a console built in 72, which is long before most of our students or their, their parents were still in high school at that point. Um, and it's in here working every day. Man. Teaching a new generation. So we, we in both studios here, we teach full analog process. Um, we did sell our multi-track tape machines a few years ago. The time was right to do that. Um, they're expensive to maintain. We do have Pro Tools in here, but it only serves in this capacity here as the tape recorder. It's mm -hmm. just a storage device. Everything else is analog uh, to teach them that process. I mean, just to fathom all the music that's come through this. Yeah. God. Uh, if you go to Paul Christensen's website, uh, Omega Productions, um, he's got extensive history on this console in there. Now, we do have plans to replace both consoles in the building with something newer. Uh, this one will stay in the Belmont family. We have another plan for it, so it's, I don't want it to go away because uh, it's too important and it's too great of, a, of an old console for it to, to get away from us. Yeah, I can't let that one get away. So that's kind of our technical tour here. That's fantastic. I'm so grateful that you uh, shared the stories, uh, took us around, and let us take this in, which uh, I'm still in awe of. Oh, it's, it's, it's a neat place to work. It really is. No two days are the same. We never know who may show up at the front door. Had the secretary of the Department of Education showed up at the front door three weeks ago. Really? Uh, after his uh, bodyguard had showed up, we had a U.S. Marshal come to my office door. Uh, that was a surprise to look up and see a little gold badge down here. <laughs> I was getting vetted and had to show them the building and show them where all the exits were. But uh, we had a really nice visit with him for about a half an hour. He got to talk to some students. So it's always interesting. Well, Mike, thanks for preserving history, sharing history, and taking a walk for sure. My pleasure, and thanks to Mike Kerb for keeping this place around. Yes, thank you, Mr. Kerb. Taking a Walk with Buzz Knight is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io/ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander, or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's beyond zero vision for the future. Exactly. How much coffee have you had this morning? Oh, oh. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm. The Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash an official message from Medicare. A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. With Medicare's Extra Help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out. Go to ssa.gov extra help. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services.